Welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Ron. I'm Jay. This is our review of Rocky IV, starring Sylvester Stallone, Talia Shire, Burt Young, Carl Weathers, Brigitte Nielsen, Dolph Lundgren, Tony Burton, and Psycho the Robot as himself. <laughs> Directed and written by Sylvester Stallone, released in 1985 on a budget of $28 million, and grossed a staggering $300.4 million at the box office. That was the highest grossing Rocky film of the series, the highest grossing sports film of all time until 2009's The Blind Side, which barely beat it at $309 million, and the highest grossing part four of any movie in the U.S. and Canada, passing the Dirty Harry movie Sudden Impact, which you can listen to in our archives. It also set the stage for Creed 2, which I haven't seen because who can even bother at this point? The important thing is that this is our special salute to America. Our July 4th special event, if I can get it edited in time, and one of the most patriotic movies to ever exist, as Rocky quite literally beats the Soviet Union to death by breaking its fists with his face. <laughs> Jay, you're a familiar voice to film strip listeners, so you don't need to introduce yourself like I would normally have a guest do here. But the one thing we don't know is, what is your history with good old Sly Rocky Rambo and Rocky IV? Well, if people go back to 2018, we did the summer of Stallone and we, we did three uh, one-offs there, Demolition Man, Cobra and Cliffhanger. And I said a lot about Stallone in those. I kind of always liked him. Um, and, but I've always been able to know when he put out a bad movie too. So there were tons of those. As far as Rocky four goes, I mean, I grew up a huge Rocky person i mean we watched all those growing up on cable and stuff but this is the first rocky movie i saw at a theater my whole family and i went to see this thing because it came out around like thanksgiving and that was a family tradition in my house was after thanksgiving go and see a movie in a theater we didn't do the black friday thing so much until much later in life we'd go do that and i remember all four of us going to see this and I mean, I bought the soundtrack. I had it on cassette for years. I actually saw Survivor in concert once. And yes, they sound that awesome. And they played Burning Heart. and It was great. Um, and they put like a mountain behind them on a cheap projector. It was the cheapest concert ever. But man, they were great. They they played like they were playing in front of Wembley or something in Little Shoals Theater. Maybe 400 people there. But yeah, Rocky Four is a big one, man. I, I remember it. And I, I've kind of always thought of the Rocky movies as there's like the one really good one that's like a serious movie. And then there's all the cash in. You know, Rocky Two is is not a very good movie. In fact, matter of fact, up until the last fight, it's barely watchable at all. Rocky Three is like the yuppie movie of all time, eighties from nineteen eighty three. I mean, before there was Secret of My Success and all that kind of stuff, and Light of Day and all that Michael J. Fox crap. Uh, there was Rocky Three, and I just remember it because I was a big I was getting into wrestling at that time when I saw it. So I was a big Mr. T and Hulk Hogan mark. So that was the thing about Rocky Three I remember. And then Rocky Four was was as you've aptly described, Rocky's going to knock out Russia. So I did watch this movie, but I also reread Animal Farm in preparation for this podcast. <laughs> uh, that's a good one. I always kind of feel like this might be 
part of Stallone's politically active period because you've got Rocky Four where he beats up communism and then he goes to Afghanistan to uh, help uh, help the brave, the brave yeah, <laughs> to uh, dedicate this film is dedicated to the brave Mujahideen fighters of Afghanistan. <laughs> yeah, Rambo Three did not hold up well. Let's just say that. <laughs> no, that that decidedly did not age well. No, that's funny though because I I don't even know if it's a, if it's a political thing or or I mean I know Stallone has politics and he never really shied away from them, but I think it's more of just responding to the time of where we were, man. Like in the in the mid 1980s, I mean it was all about America and screw those commies, and we were at the end of the Cold War, and everybody knew it. Like in retrospect, you kind of saw it coming because Reagan had decided we'll just outspend them. And he was right um, because they did not have the infrastructure to hang with that. Uh, and, you know, we're only paying for it now all these years later. But it really, I mean, it, it was a, it was a thing. It was a national thing. And and this was topical because in 1984, the Russians had had boycotted the uh, L.A. Olympics uh, because of the drug doping you know, scandals and you know, accusations and all that stuff. So I think Stallone was just like. You know, watching the Olympics going, hey, I think I got the next one. And I mean, he even cops to some of that. And, you know, we've talked about the Dolph Lundgren thing before. When we did the Punisher record, you know, uh, review years ago, we talked about how Stallone showed up on the set. It was like, you let him talk, you know, and, and, and watching this again. And it had been a long time since I'd seen this movie. I realized what he meant. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it is rough yeah. <laughs> along there. But I think the thing I always took away from this one, man, is I remembered so much of it being centered around the emotional weight of what happens to Apollo Creed in it. And we'll talk about that after your plot summary, but that, that seemed to be it. And then it was the fact that the movie seemed to take place in between all these music videos. And that's an interesting thing. I mean, but Stallone is, is if anything, he is a, a man who's got his finger on the pulse of the times and he knew that MTV was blowing up. So that's what the kids want. So I'm going to make, you know, montages and everybody wants to bang on that and make fun of it, but it created a style that, carries through a lot of 80s and even 90s cinema. Yeah, you know, my kids were watching the the, the music television and they were having a good time. So, you know, I thought, <laughs> why not make that part of my Rocky movie? I mean, look, the robot that you mentioned, who does have a SAG card, so I'm glad you got him in the credits there or whatever, was a thing that, like, Stallone had to help his, his son, like his autistic son, which I thought was kind of sweet. I didn't know that until recently. And I thought, well, you know what? I'll give Sly credit for being kind of all heart. I mean, he's sort of that way anyway. Yeah, I didn't realize that until after I watched this movie. And then I realized that he saw a segment on TV about the robot for um, Robotic Dynamics or whatever the name of the company was. And he called them as like, hey, uh, I got a son with autism. Maybe I could borrow you, robot. And they said, Sure. And uh, apparently it helped. It helped enough that Stallone fell in love with the thing and brought it into this movie. And now he summarily cut it out of the director's cut that's coming out in November of 2021, we should say. Uh, you know, the, the robot served the purpose and now it's got to go. And, all, I think and it's also, also called royalties to the voice actor. <laughs> that's the other thing. <laughs> well, the, the voice actor is the guy who invented the robot. That's his voice programmed to come out of the robot. And then they digitized it to make it female, which is a scene that was actually cut out of the original movie. Because, yes, there is a Rocky Four out there that has significantly more robot. I think that's what people want. Stallone <laughs> could put out his no robot cut, but we want the four-hour Polly and the robot love story 
Snyderverse. <laughs> this yeah, movie. The, the, Snyder, the Snyder robot cut is what we would call that <laughs> officially. <laughs> Maybe it's the producer's cut like Halloween has. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's the it's the renegade cut like uh, Highlander 2. There you go. There you go. Which isn't any better for the record. But well, I think we we've gone on enough here, Ron. It's time to talk about Rocky Ford. Give us a plot summary, man. At the height of the Cold War, the Soviet Union has decided to tamper with America's best-loved combat sport, boxing, by unleashing the towering combat machine Ivan Drago onto the world. Retired and bored, Apollo Creed hears the news of the newest boxing superstar and decides that there's no way he's going to let some commie come to America and make the U.S. look bad, so he has a meeting with his good friend, Rocky Balboa. Rocky and Adrian both think this is a bad idea, but Rocky can't talk his friend out of anything because Rocky can barely talk. So he decides to help the former champ get in shape for an exhibition bout versus the gold medalist and undefeated world amateur boxing champion, Drago. Long story short, Drago wins. Short story long, Drago beats Apollo Creed to death over two rounds, and it's more brutal than anything in a Friday the 13th movie. Cue the first big montage of the movie, Rocky driving and considering getting revenge. Ultimately, he decides to do it, but the fight has to be on Drago's terms. December 25th, Moscow, Russia. That's right. Rocky IV is a Christmas movie. Cue the training montages after Rocky sits down in Siberia as portrayed by Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Rocky is doing things the old-fashioned way, chopping wood, running through the snowy Russian wilderness while being followed by KGB minders. Drago is doing things the modern way with computers, plyometrics, and anabolic steroids. It's good old-fashioned America versus the East German swim team in a battle for Cold War supremacy. The clubbering starts. Rocky gets knocked down, then knocked down again, then knocked down again. Drago beats the tar out of Rocky, but Rocky won't give up, throwing hands back at the big Russian until he hits him just right and cuts him. He bleeds. And if it bleeds, Predator told us, you can kill it. Wrong franchise, Stallone would say. (laughs) Rocky has renewed enthusiasm, like a goddamn sexual tyrannosaur, and the two battle back and forth, with Drago unable to knock out Rocky. That wins over any hostile audience, and Russians are no exception. Cue round 15. The Politburo Flack comes to ringside to yell at Drago, who announces that he fights for himself, not for the party. Rocky and Drago come to the middle of the ring and then commence to fighting. Drago is fighting Rocky's fight, which means he's not bothered to protect himself from punches, and when Rocky drags you to his level, he always wins. Drago topples after some blood-pissing body shots, chopped down like a tree in the Soviet wilderness. Everyone cheers. Rocky gets on the mic and says, If I could change, you could change. Everybody could change. I love you, Adrian. Thereby ending the Cold War forever. Rocky gets caught in a freeze frame with the American flag behind him. We get a fun montage of all the best parts of the movie in freeze frame as credits roll. John Cafferty sings us home again at the end of another Stallone movie that you and I have reviewed together. (laughs) It's it's funny because, yeah, that's a guy who keeps coming back, uh, much like Survivor. But we touched on it briefly. Uh, Jay, are you, before we get started discussing the actual movie, are you excited for the Rocky IV No More Robot cut? You know, yeah, because I follow Stallone on Insta because he's funny and he really does have a good sense of humor about himself and things. And I heard about this and he had posted like little pieces about it. And 
what I read about it is it's going to add more back in about why Creed wanted to fight Drago, which I think is probably the clearest narrative part of this whole movie. And to give more drama around that and more about that fight and stuff, I'm game. I mean, I don't, I don't know how much more of a pummeling you can show though, because I think you summed it right outside of the blatant violence of Friday, the 13th part four, the final chapter, there may not be one that's more violent than what happens to Creed in this one. And, by all stories, and I mean that's it's great trivia to know Dolph Lundgren nearly killed both Carl Wilson and Sylvester Stallone doing this movie because he obviously he doesn't know how to act. He also doesn't know how to play fight. <laughs> he just kept hitting them so hard. They were like, "No, I'm done." Yeah, well, it's funny you say that because in the opening fight with Hollow, that is one of the scenes where Carl Weathers looks like he's about to leave the movie. You tell, <laughs> especially the push at the end where he pushes him into the corner. Apparently, Dolph Lundgren just threw him into the corner bodily, and Carl Weathers was so pissed off about it, he left the set. It was like, I'm not coming back to do this thing. Now, the Stallone thing, where Stallone gets hospitalized for eight days in the ICU, that's Stallone's own fault, because he says, you know, I'm tough, you could just punch me in the chest. Not not realizing he's talking to 250 pounds of giant who actually knows martial arts, thus knows how to throw a punch who then right. throws a punch right to his chest. Who should also mention, it, for, for his lack of acting prowess, is a frigging PhD chemical engineer. So he's not a dummy. He's a really smart man. And he's he's just a ferocious sight. We talked about it on Punisher. And I th- like the things about this man that are so iconic are, you know, when, when we start a Rocky movie, you usually get like the big fanfare and Rocky comes across the screen, right? Not this one. We I realized like this is a different movie from the Rocky movies. This is the rock and roll Rocky movie. Like I've said, the music video one, because it's eye of the tiger and it's the two gloves twisting on each other and they come together in the big explosion. And I'm going to tell you, man, as a 10 year old kid or nine year old kid, whatever I was when I saw this, there was nothing cooler. Like <laughs> I was like, yes, how did they do that? That looks so awesome. And watching it now, I'm like, Oh, I miss the eighties <laughs> and practical effects. I mean, that, that looked like something he barred straight out of Golden Globus, you know, back lot. It's like if Golden Globus had money to spend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, that thing, that thing just really looks fun. And that just kind of sets the tone for the whole of this over the top movie. We open up with Polly's birthday. Or rather, yeah. Polly's birthday is the most interesting thing that happens at the beginning of the movie. Well, hold, hold, hold on. We, we actually open up with it with a thing every Rocky movie has. It's the montage of what happened at the end of the other one because home video wasn't a thing yet. And I got to say, like the staged fight with with Mr. T, the second fight in part three, may be the best Rocky fight as far as like action fights of all time, because it, it is such a great strategy. There's no way Rocky can survive this guy. So he has to go out like Apollo Creed and throw a ton of punches at this dude and knock him cold in three rounds. He wears him out. And it's a great, it's a great fight. Sloan's talking trash. It's, it's fun. And I love that though. And you can tell the difference between 1983 and 1985. Man, Stallone hit the tanning bed. He was in the gym. He looked like a different dude in 1985. Yeah, it looks like uh, in between those two movies, Stallone discovered the uh, Drago diet, so to speak. Yep. Um, meaning anabolic steroids. And, or, and the kind of things that get horses disqualified from Kentucky Derbies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but enough about Sylvester Stallone's trainer, Bob Baffert. But no, you're right. Outside of that Clubber Lang thing, we, we go to the end of three where, where him and, and Apollo have a sparring match. And 
I don't know if this is supposed to pick up like right after that or if we're supposed to have some time pass or whatever, but you're right. Nothing interesting happens again for a while except Polly's birthday, which is, I don't know, it's an interesting beat in Act 1. Oh, okay, so the whole time I'm watching this movie, I'm like, all right, Carl Weathers clearly doesn't want to be here. Talia Shire shows up. She doesn't want to be here. The little kid, he may or may not want to be here, too. He's probably okay with it. The only person who seems like he wants to be here and is willing to commit to this stupidness is Burt Young. Yeah. Who is just every note in the script that, that is there in front of him. He grabs onto it like it's a like it's a life raft and he just beats it to death, which is a really mixed metaphor. But this is the most fun of Polly, though, because he's mm-hmm. always been such a sourpuss in all the other movies. And really, at the beginning of three, he's like a real wreck, you know. And but you see the comedic turn of Polly at the end of part three. He starts you know, rubbing Carl Weathers' head and all kinds of crazy stuff, and he becomes a one-liner machine. And I kind of like that version of Polly. I mean, whether he's listening to his chipmunks uh, Walkman and burning marshmallows on a on a candle in Siberia, or he's talking about how you know we don't keep our people behind the wall with machine guns and all this crap at the press conference. I mean, Polly's hilarious in this movie. And what I kind of like is like Polly had such a hard life. And now that Rocky has finally made it so big that Polly doesn't have to do anything anymore, but just hang around. He's just going to coast through life with Baskin Robbins and Stroh's light. Yeah. It, it's definitely the most fun. I think uh, anybody's having in this movie is, is good old Polly. And you know, it's funny thinking about Rocky one, Burt Young was nominated for an Oscar for best supporting actor. And Stallone was nominated for Best Screenplay and Best Picture, right? Yeah, I think it won Best Screenplay, yeah. Rocky 1 is like an award-winning series drama. Rocky 4 is a, a cartoon. It totally it's, is. It's a propaganda cartoon. It's like yeah. when Bugs Bunny went to fight the Nazis. This is, we're going to send Rocky, and he's going to fight the Soviet Union. Said, I can't go Russian, so I'll get this Oh. I don't know, Denmarkish, Damon, whatever <laughs> one of those is. <laughs> this big blonde guy with the blue eyes, we'll get him and I'll beat him up and, and we'll say he's a Russian. And also we'll get my girlfriend Brigitte in, in the movie. Were they a thing yet? I know they got married later, but I, I thought this was like where he met her was this movie. No, they were already a thing about the time this movie started. Okay. All right. Cause they I mean- were like a big tabloid. They were the benefer of their, of their day. <laughs> You know, that's a pretty good one. I wonder what their dating wall was, but uh, <laughs> if they had one. But. It's Slajit, obviously. <laughs> How did I walk into that? <laughs> like Rocky fighting. Uh, no, you're, you're right, though. We do open up with the Polly birthday, and it's it's all a big joke, and it's a laugh, and we bring the robot in, and it's it's uh, creepy and weird, but uh, there it is. But, you know, that robot is also there for the copious amounts of product placement in this movie, the Sony stereo, the phone, all that. I mean, the fact that, that Apollo Creed in his pool, one of two black characters in the movie is playing in the pool while a church's chicken ad plays in the background. It does not seem especially racially sensitive because you could have, (laughs) because if you had made it Pauly, like drunk on the couch with a, the remnants of a 12 pack scattered around him with a bucket of church's chicken, it fits. Yes, totally does. I mean, but, you know, I didn't think about that until you just said it. And I was like, you know, Carl Weathers does look extremely annoyed in that scene. And by all accounts, he did not he did not want to do this. But that's the funny thing, man. 
Like, I think Carl Weathers does put on good performances in these movies with what little he's given. He's given nothing to do in that second one except just be pissed. The first one, he's a real character. The third one, he's a real character. I mean, he rescues Rocky out of nothing. Honestly, man, he gets the best dramatic scene in the movie when he comes over to the house and he's like, no, nah, man, I can whip this dude, you know? And yeah, Rocky will get his chance at him. But, and what, what I remember about that though, because being a film purist, I just remember these little things about stupid movies like this is that Rocky's deal at the end of Rocky three was win, lose or draw. This is it. Like I'm too old. To, I was too old when I started this journey. I'm now really too old. My manager's dead. I'm going to knock Mr. T out and then I'm, I'm done. And so even the media talking about like, yeah, well, when you get to fight the real champ, and I'm like, at that point, like it had been a couple of years, like Rocky would have had to give it up. Like They'd have been like, hey, man, you got to either fight or don't because there's time limits on that stuff. You got to have contracts signed. And so it just it feels weird to hear him talking about that. But what I love is that he is so invested in this and it comes across in the scene when him and Stallone are watching scenes from Rocky too, you know, like the, the fight footage, basically it's like they're rewatching their real fight or whatever. And they're talking back and forth and he gets up and he gets, gives this impassioned speech about how, you know, if there's no war to fight, then the warrior might as well be dead. And what you realize is that Apollo Creed, much like Michael Jordan and many other athletes in their day can never walk away from it they just don't know what to be other than that thing and i don't know i thought i thought it was a great piece of acting from somebody who clearly didn't want to be there but was giving a performance that this movie did not deserve yeah that's that is one of his best moments in the film that's one of the few scenes where he's actually got a little life in his eyes he looks like he's engaged and he's got some material that that he's good with i believe rocky has been champ for two years at this point yeah, something like that. So he's clearly made a couple of defenses since he took the title back from Clubber Lang. Apollo has been retired for five years. So he's pulling a Tyson and or Roy Jones Jr. coming out of retirement, a long retirement for yeah. this so-called exhibition with Drago. That sets us up for the big press conference where Apollo Creed shows up and he's like, I got to fight to sell. I'm going to start talking some mad shit. He just starts antagonizing this guy and antagonizing Russia and really just pushing his luck. Now, I think for Apollo Creed, a lot of that was just the act. Because at the end, he says to, he like smacks the stand up on the head. And is like, how'd I do, Rock? Or, or whatever. He kind of, yeah. there's a little throwaway line that's like, all right, I'm going to be like Muhammad Ali. I'm, I'm going to sell this fight. And my opponent, who is nothing but a, nothing but a big dumb gorilla. That's my bad Muhammad Ali impression. <laughs> talking about Joe Frazier. Yeah, but I mean, but you're right. I mean, and they modeled the Apollo Creed character off of Muhammad Ali all the way back to 1976. I mean, Stallone, Stallone's whole inspiration was Chuck Wepner not getting knocked out by Muhammad Ali in, in the fight. So it's always there. And it's 100% clear when you watch Carl Weathers fight in this movie yeah. because he's dancing. He's doing the He's doing the Ali shuffle. He's got his hands down. He's shooting the jab out one-handed. He's eyeballing the guy the whole time. It's it's a really good physical performance, and that's the other part where he looks like he's got a little bit of life to him is in the boxing scenes. Yeah, I mean, and I think that was probably before Dolph Lundgren hit him. And then, and then he was it was like, oh, wait a minute, this guy. Does. And and much like art imitating life or life imitating art, Dolph didn't realize it was a joke. <laughs> and it was a cartoon, and he clubbed him. And, you know, but there's something about that, though, that is so 
I don't know. It's, it's such a great piece of poetry for the Creed character because yes, it is sad that he dies. Like it's a terrible thing, but you got to have some dramatic piece in this movie because otherwise, why are we talking about the fourth Rocky movie at this point? And he goes on and on about all of this, you know, all the hype that he's building up for it. And the only way a guy like Creed would go down would be to get in over his head and a ring against a guy like this. And when Drago hits him the first time for real and the look on his face, it's a great performance by Weathers is like, Oh shit. I am really up against it now. And it's funny because the whole time you're watching the press conference, everybody else is listening to this and they realize, Oh, Apollo really just stuck his whole foot in it. Like he didn't just step on the turd. He's tap dancing on it. Like he's up to his kneecaps now because that guy is actually bad. He's not getting it that this is a bit. Yeah, no, and look, what I love about that press conference too, man, is the trainer handler for Drago. I don't know his name. I just know the actor's name is Michael Pataki. And I remember him most from two things, Ron. One, playing a two-bit mobster in a bad Dracula ripoff with George Hamilton called Love at First Bite. And Dr. Hoffman from Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. Uh, so I, he's been in a lot of stuff, but those are the things I knew him from. And it, I never connected the fact that he was the same one as in this. I think I knew it, but I, it, like I said, it's been a long time since I watched Rocky 4. And I'm watching and I'm like, Hoffman's up there talking good Russian and like speaking all manner of ill about poor America and Apollo. And what I love about Apollo is he keeps dropping these one-liners. And Drago is just so deadpanning it. And so I will give Dolph Lundgren credit. He can play just stone, like really good. That's mm-hmm. not easy to do. And and it's good. And you know what? Brigitte Nielsen, you got to forget about like the train wreck of a person she was for a long time on reality TV. She's given a pretty darn good performance here as the wife, the mouthpiece for Drago this whole time. I actually kind of liked her in this scene too. When she, you know, she's trying to be play nice, but then she's also like, you're standing up to the loudmouthed American guy. Yeah, she does a good job of towing the line between trying to be polite and, and also standing up for her husband. Clearly, there's you would look at the two of them and think this is just some sort of arranged marriage where they wanted to breed their largest two athletes together. Yeah, because she's but, like a gold medal swimmer or something. Yeah, she's a, a, an Olympic gold medalist swimmer, and he is a gold medalist undefeated boxer. But there seems to be a little something there, or she's just really good at her job of like keeping Drago in line. She's a good Red Sparrow, is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. So yeah, well, I mean, it was probably what they told her to do. Like, I'm sure that's what Stallone told her to act like, because he wrote all this crap. So I mean, he's pulling all this out, and she gives a good performance. She makes it fun. But that that's what makes that the press conference so fun is you've got Apollo talking all that trash, Drago not reacting to it at all. Brigitte Nielsen trying to like be the peacemaker. And then the, again, the antagonizer over there going, we'll beat this old man until he's made out of snow or whatever, you know? And it's, I, I, I loved it. I was like, yeah. And you're right. The press is like, this is funny. And then they realize like, man, Apollo better back that up <laughs> because this is going to get bad if he doesn't. Yeah. It all sets up for the big fight in Vegas where Drago rises out of the floor of the arena yeah, we were talking about that. I've seen that happen, though. That's like a thing, and it, it's just an effect, and you can bring people up. The, the Undertaker did it for years in the WWE. So. Yeah, I've seen it before, too, but but that is only the beginning because then we get a huge song and dance entrance for Apollo Creed. By James Brown, of all people. Yes, uh, 70s icon Apollo Creed meets 70s icon James Brown. 
So before we get into any further into this, Jay, what are your thoughts on the song Living in America? You know, it's one of the things I remembered most from the the soundtrack was the fact that in the midst of all this Bill Conti synthesizer jam and all this 80s hair metal rock and pop, you know, soul pop you've got going on, you got friggin' James Brown. <laughs> it sticks out a little bit, but it's a great tune. I mean, Living in America is a friggin' anthem. And I love the fact that Stallone got that for this this movie like he he had this and he had peter satara's glory of love and he dumped that or the studio did and stuck it on the end of karate kid too and went with hearts on fire instead with, with john cafferty but no i love living in america I think it's a great song and it's a great way to intro this whole thing because what you realize is all of this is lost on drago one he doesn't speak the language so he has no idea what anybody's saying to him except you know the the handler who speaks i don't know if that's russian or if it's just gibberish but it's awesome either way that guy played a lot of Russians in his career, I understand. So maybe it's real. But anyway, he, he's just standing there and just sort of lost on like all these half-dressed flamenco dancers and the presence that is James Brown and all that crazy stuff going on. And, you know, he, he drops down, somebody throws the cape on him, the whole nine. I mean, it's it's a performance. And it's when I realized it's like, oh, this is the live music video that's someone wanted to stick in this movie. So this is how we get into – the end of what is going to be the end of act one, which is this fight is we've, we haven't had much of the montage yet, except from the beginning. So now we've got to get our big music moment and then we get our big showdown. But I thought living in America was cool. It's, it's a fun scene. Now living in America is an interesting song because it was co-written by Dan Hartman, who did, who wrote and performed the brilliant, I can dream about you from uh, streets of fire, which you can also hear us talking about in the archives, another brilliant classic 80 song. Yeah, it, it totally fits the mood, too. But again, it, it's all of James Brown, which is Apollo Creed. It's bombastic. It's huge, which is interesting because we don't see anything about Apollo training. And they made a big deal in the second movie of showing like how over the top Apollo Creed was going because he was not going to get caught by this chump from Philly again. I mean, he does beat Rocky to a pulp in that second movie. He's in the, like the shape of his life before he gets knocked out at the end of it. We don't see him do anything but all. Oh, we've seen Drago like punch a machine so hard that like he breaks it three times, you know. And 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 one thing about this movie, I remember years later looking up that like all the sports science stuff in it is real. Like Stallone was like geeking out over that stuff and wanted to stick it in this movie. And people forever thought it was like just made up shit. And it was like, no, that's like real stuff, including all the woods were all on. But you know, all the machines are like real things. And I, you know, I didn't know what pounds per square inch was until I watched this movie, and now I learned. Yeah, it's pretty funny because you talk about the James Brown thing. We'll go back to that real quick. In college, I lived with a guy from Japan. One of his formative movies was Rocky IV. And because he saw Rocky IV, he thought James Brown was like America's biggest star. <laughs> and he was like, I thought I thought every American loved James Brown because he did that song in Rocky IV. And everyone loved that song. And it's like, yeah, but I mean, that was 1985. And by that point, James Brown was already kind of has been. Which I think is is like there's some subtext to that, right? This guy who was a major thing in the 70s is now still hanging around in the 80s. And yeah, it looks great. But in the pantheon of James Brown songs, Living in America is not one of the top. I mean, it's a good one. It's his last real big one. But it's not as, it's not as iconic as all the stuff he did in the 60s and 70s. And that's the same thing for Apollo Creed. He was a fighter in the 60s. And what we really, when we meet him, he's at the end of his career. 
in Rocky. He's just picking, I mean, he's beat everybody so bad. The reason he picks Rocky in the first Rocky movie was because, eh, we'll do it for a stunt. Kind of the reason Ali picked Wepner. It was just, you know, kind of a stunt because he'd whipped everybody else. And it, everybody else was either in jail or couldn't die at the time for Ali. And, and no, there was nobody else for Creed. And now you're seeing Creed try to hang on. Unlike James Brown, though, there's nothing there to catch him. Like, he doesn't have the huge band. He doesn't have the dancers and everything. When he's in the ring, it's just him versus this wall in front of him who is about to knock him into next the next life. To be fair, Carl Weathers slash Apollo Creed is in great shape. Oh, yeah. But it doesn't look like it's boxing shape. It looks like he's a little too cut, like he's a little dehydrated. Yeah, I mean, he's he's ripped. He's big, right? But boxers will tell you, like, man, you got to be quick, hydrated, the air, the lungs, and he ain't got none of that anymore. Plus, let's let's not overgloss the fact that it's been five years since he fought. These other guys you mentioned before that came back and fought after five years, they fought tomato cans. They did not fight <laughs> this specimen who doesn't realize that this is a, you know not supposed to be a, a real fight. Like it's it's supposed to be a real thing to him because he's pissed he's even having to do it. He came to America to fight Rocky, and now he's got to fight this dude. And he even says it in the post match things like, "I killed an old man. Now I'll, I soon I will fight a real champion," you know, or whatever. And like he even knows this is this is not who he wants to be. So Drago is annoyed in his own right to have to even do this. And Drago actually looks really annoyed by all of the song and dance stuff. Because let's be honest, Apollo gasses himself out while he's dancing around on stage, hanging he, out with James Brown. He's he's already gone. Like his lungs, his lungs are gone and his legs are already shot. He's as blown up as Ultimate Warrior or Goldberg ever got before a match. I mean, he is done. There's no wind. He's just flirting and messing around. And again, it's when Drago really tags him the first time. And you're, and it's halfway through that first round. You're like, oh wow! And by the end of it, when when he's just getting pummeled on the ropes, the the guys in, and they do great again to have those guys from the USA Network there commentating. Drops that line of like, what started off as a joke has become a very real thing. And you know, you can tell like this is a problem. And there's this undercutting thing with Apollo and, and Rocky. The last thing he says to Rocky is like, don't stop it, no matter what. And it's, I mean, again, he, it's, it's the speech from the living room. It's, I'm going to go down doing the only thing I know how to do. And at some point, like, I, I never read it like this, Ron. I want to get your opinion on this. I looked at it this way. Like, he knew going out in that second round, he wasn't coming back. Like, he was going to go out there and go down swinging, but he knew it was over. Yeah, when you, when you put it that way, when you point that out, it, it really is pretty clear that, yeah, he's, he knows he's going to a hospital either way. So you may as well try to go out on your feet or at least give it the best shot you've got left. I don't think he goes out there intending to die. But at a certain point, you have to realize that this guy's 50 pounds heavier than you. Because if he weighed in at like 250 pounds, he's probably 270 on the day of the fight. Half a head taller than you are, who has the punch that rivals the bite of an alligator. Later on in the movie, he throws a punch that's like 2150 PSI. And I looked up the bite force of animals. A uh, hippo would be like 1850, which is what he's punching on the, the block in the first place. And he builds up to 2150, which is the equivalent bite of an alligator. I don't think he's going out there to get beaten to death. I think he's going out there to prove that he's still got it and that he's still a man. And he signed up to do a thing and it's gonna he's going to get it done no matter what. And it just takes a tragic turn. 
you've got Tony, his trainer, who's been there all along, you know, yelling like, throw the damn towel, throw it. You know, and Stallone won't do it because he's he's loyal to his friend, right? He's like, uh, and it's a great set of slow-mo. And I know 80s is such a slow-mo thing, but I really got to give Stallone direction credit here. I thought this sequence was great. The punch that kills Apollo or whatever, the last one, the way it, his fist goes through his face, his head disappears in the light for a second. He comes back and he's just sort of slowly falling over like a big tree. And it's just, I mean, it is, it's stunning and tragic. And I, I remember distinctly little kid me going, what? Yeah. Cause you don't expect Apollo Creed to get beaten to death. And meanwhile, here he is getting beaten to death and it, and it looks great. It is really well shot. Uh, say what you want to about Stallone and his tendencies at this point, he knows how to shoot boxing. He knows how to make it look good and it looks great. Yeah. And, and he, he also clearly, nailed another thing too. He nailed the way the press is like hounds on him or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he is he was dead on about that. Like you think about any of the major tragedies we've seen in our lives. And I'm not talking about like attacks and things. I mean just stuff that happens and everybody's always on top of somebody. They won't let them breathe. And and I mean he's he's right. I mean he nailed that. And by this point, he'd had a lot of experience with the paparazzi, so I imagine that's probably coming through. But another right. thing I could going to say about Stallone is Paulo's dead. Rocky's holding him in the ring. The camera pulls back and it's the Pieta, uh, you know, the Virgin Mary holding the the dead Jesus statue that Michelangelo did. It's literally the Pieta, but with Rocky as the Virgin Mary, which is crazy. Yeah, because in the first movie, there's this whole Jesus metaphor, too, because he's getting his brains beat out while there's this Jesus uh, stained glass above him in the, you know, the boxing ring. He's, you know, fighting in for that club fight. Early on, so that I, that Stallone, I think, just carried on what John G. Albinson laid out early on. Uh, but yeah, it's it's like, oh, we had that before. You do that again, and I mean, we make fun of it, but it, it this kind of movie should be that on the nose. Like, yes, that that's what we want. We just had living in America, and Russia just destroyed America in front of. Them. And Stallone at the time grew up extremely Catholic and was probably still fairly Catholic. Uh, I'm not sure what he is now. He's gone back and forth to be a bunch of different things, but that tends to happen. But yeah. He's clearly tapping into that religious Jesus imagery throughout this. I think a lot of the stained glass thing is is all not just John Appleton, but also I think it's there in the Stallone script. I think this is the thing he's been wanting to put in the movie forever. Yeah, I mean, clearly he has. And, you know, we cut to the the funeral, man. And I got to say, like, I, you know, I'm I'm 44 years old. I've seen this movie probably a dozen times. And even though it's been 10 years or so since I bothered to watch it, I'm not going to lie that I get a little choked up, man. Like Stallone really, you know, could bring the speech, like the way he gets caught in his words about like, we always did it the way you wanted it, you know, and all that kind of stuff. When he's talking to Apollo's grave, it's, it's sad. It's really poignant. And maybe that's cheesy and that's what this movie's supposed to be. But you know, if, if it's, if the desire is to hit that beat, then he hit it right on the head. I don't know if it's supposed to be cheesy, but it's definitely not subtle. And I also really appreciate uh, Rocky was wearing Cobra's sunglasses at the funeral. Yeah, they did make an appearance. He's got the Cobra hair, too. Like, it's <laughs> the dye uh, job. He's, he's got the uh, Cobra beard a little bit later, uh, later yeah. on when he's training in Siberia. That's, that's the Nighthawks beard. That's what I call it. The Nighthawks. So. That's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I appreciated Rocky leaving the world championship on the casket because Rocky is literally casting aside the physical belt. And then he's casting aside the championship. Yeah. In order to take this Drago fight, because they said, no, you've got a title to defend. You you can't go off to Russia and fight some fight. 
Yeah, but, like boxing commissions are a real thing. You can't just pick somebody you want to fight. They have to be ranked. They have to have gone through the thing. Like that's a that's a real deal. I'll never forget like in the late 80s, early 90s, WCW, World Championship Wrestling, like borrowed that idea. I think Jim Ross borrowed it because he liked Rocky movies. And it was we need to have a top 10. You know, and they just kept running that. And it was like a big, you know, gag to, to keep going for a couple of years. And then they finally just dropped it. But I remember being a boxing fan growing up that you know, I always read those top tens, like who was in line and you'd see these names and they were guys that all went on to be champions at one point or another. Most of them did at least in the late eighties through the, the mid nineties was the heyday of modern heavyweight fighting. I, nobody cares like they did back then and stuff because boxing's got its own set of problems. But the, the idea that like you can just pick who you want to fight, like, no, you can't do that. And so what I love the, the moment of that, Rocky realizes, like, I don't need this championship. I don't need the weight of it. I just need to go avenge my friend. So Rocky is like an avenging angel at this point. And he's giving up the title. He says something in the press conference, though, that's like, you yeah, this ain't for money. I'm like, bullshit. Somebody's getting, you ain't flying over there for free, my friend. <laughs> like, somebody's getting paid. That's the whole thing. He's not getting paid. That's part of the terms of the fight. They have to go to Russia. They're fighting on Christmas. And Rocky's not making dollar one off of this fight. Now, someone's making money off of this fight, but it's not Rocky because apparently he signed away his rights to get any kind of cash. Wow. Well, that may explain what happens to him in Rocky five too, but that's another day on Donahue. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the whole, the whole thing though is, is punctuated by the fact that they laid that championship belt out. And I love the way that belt looks because real boxing belts are not nearly as cool as the one in the Rocky movies. Like that's a really good looking belt. Yeah, they're not, and it's appropriately sized for a boxing belt too, because boxing belts are actually wearable, unlike the uh, Sweet Charlotte, the ten pounds of gold, or the <laughs> uh, Winged Eagle, or whatever. The uh, well, you had to be like a monster of a human to be able to wear the wrestling championship belts. Otherwise, you just sling them over the shoulder. That's that's the idea. But yeah, the the boxing belt looked like something you could actually wear to the ring. Uh, we get a, a, a one of our montages with Rocky driving around, and you've got so after that though. We've got the press conference again, right? And it's the second press conference we've had. And this time, Dr. Hoffman is really pissed about the fact that people are death-threatening his super athlete and all this. And that's when Brigitte Nielsen really shows her fangs, too, because she has a great set of lines. She's like, you had this belief that we are so very bad and you're so very good and all of this stuff, and you believe this and that and the other. And then that's when Polly gets you know gets his lines in, too, like, you know, whatever, you, you keeping people behind the wall with a gun and all that. You know, it's every, like, jingoistic thing you can think of that the Americans would have thought of the Russians in the 80s. And it's not false necessarily. It's not put the Russians over like they were, you know, handing out candy canes on the street. They weren't doing that either. But I love the juxtaposition of that is that now, you know, the first time it was all Apollo going at them. This time they're, they're taking it to Rocky just as much. And it, it is a harsh, harsh press conference. Only undercut by the fact that Talia Shire shows up in her 300Z at home. And reporters are staking out, asking her about something, and she has no idea about it. That, I think, is a script mistake, Ron. And I want to tell you why. In all these movies, Adrian has been a big deal for Rocky. Her blessing over him doing things is like a thing. In Rocky 2, he doesn't really start training until she tells him to go out there and, you know, and win. You know, In Rocky 3, he can't get his shit together, even with Carl Weathers pushing him on the beach, until they have this blowout on the beach. It's a great scene. It's probably her best scene in all these movies. And bless her heart, they give her nothing like that in this movie to do. The fact that she would have no idea that he was doing this, and then they have that lame fight on the darkest stairwell at night, I hated that for the 
Adrian character. I thought Sly really did her a disservice in this because she would she would have known and she could have protested just the same. But the fact that she had no idea this was happening that just didn't make sense. Yeah, that does kind of strain belief because Adrian's always been the one who's kind of had it together. And she's got an end with her brother, Polly, for obvious reasons, because, you know, they're related. She should know what's going on. And I don't think it hurts the movie in any way if she has an awareness of this, because she's always, like you said, she's always been the one to kind of sign off on Rocky's ridiculous adventures. There's no doubt she would have signed off on this one, too. I mean, she does later in the movie, even. Like, that's a big thing when she flies to Russia to be with him while he's training and all this stuff, you know, halfway through it. And I'm like, well, if you're going to have her do that, just include her on the front end. Like, I, I, I'm getting hung up on a small story beat, but it doesn't ring similar to the way that she's been pro- portrayed before. That's what I, I, I keep saying. We do get, though, what may be my favorite montage of the movie. And it's because the song attached to it, Ron, is maybe one of my favorite things of 1980 to some ever. No Easy Way Out by Robert Tepper is a banger of a tune. I may or may not still have it in my iTunes library. And Jay may or may not have worn out his tape on his boombox listening to this thing over and over again. Because Stallone cuts a music video of flashbacks of the other Rocky movies with scenes, by the way, he wasn't there for. So that's a funny part. But it's like, let's put the music video for No Way Out in the middle of this while he's driving his Lamborghini. And I, I don't know. I love that song, though. And I love the tenor of it because it, it's exactly right. And I didn't look it up enough to see if Tepper wrote it exactly for the movie or not. But I mean, it's like he had a copy of the script or something. Cause it's, it's all about like not being indestructible, but you can't back down. You got to do and all this. Stuff. I don't know. I, but I love that song and I love this montage because what you realize is even though Adrian is not on board with this, Rocky is going to do it because as he's told her, kind of like what Creed has sold him on is this is all I am. This is all I know how to do. And I got to go do this because I can't let Apollo go down like that to that guy. Yeah, it's it's a great song and it's dead on for this movie. I have no idea if it was written for this movie or not. I tried to look it up real quick while you were talking, but I I couldn't find anything definitive. Well, I mean, he also did Angel of the City in Cobra, which probably wasn't written for that either, but it's still an awesome song, but not nearly as good as I, I would say No Easy Way Out is a lot better than Angel of the City. I love No Easy Way Out. I love this whole soundtrack, and the soundtrack was a huge hit. And I think this soundtrack is one of the most crucial things about this movie. One of the reasons why this movie works and one of the reasons especially why these montage music videos work, too. It is funny that you mentioned Rocky seeing things that he wasn't actually around for because... I'd never even thought of that until you just mentioned it. I mean, it is. It's like it's, it's parts of like, you know, Polly doing stuff and, and Adrian doing things. He wasn't there for that. Adrian cheering at the TV. He wasn't there. He was in the ring at the top. I mean, so it's, it's just funny. Maybe she told him about it. I don't know. It's, I mean, it's, it's a dumb thing to pick up on, but it is funny to think about it. It's like, wait a minute, you weren't there for that. <laughs> but that's not the point. The point is there's two things going on. This movie really only has about 40 minutes worth of material in it. So the other 45, 50 minutes of it is credit sequences and live or not live music videos. And Stallone has figured that out. And I I really think you've nailed something with that soundtrack comment. You're right. It is so crucial to the way this movie works because the music in these movies has always mattered. But I, the tiger, put it on a different level in Rocky Three. Now it is, we got to put all that stuff together because that's going to tell our story. We're not going to ask our characters to say things anymore. We're going to have them do stuff and we're going to undercut it with music because that's what everybody's into these days. The fact that it made $300 million proves Stallone was right. 
Yeah, you're not wrong. And you're not wrong that the uh, montages and videos do most of the narrative heavy lifting. I remember this movie being like two and a half hours long. And I don't know why I thought that. Because you're right. There's literally 50 minutes of... It's a long episode of TV plus some music videos. Like it's that episode of The Simpsons where they put the 12 minute black or white video at the end of it. (laughs) It's basically that. That's that's basically Rocky Four, except... Uh, oh. With Survivor or uh, Robert, and Tepper Robert Tepper instead of uh, Michael Jackson. Yeah, we've talked uh, quite a bit about Burt Young and how good he is at this movie and how he's the only one who seems to be energized. Before we move to Russia and to Siberia and to kind of dovetail it with Rocky's fight with Adrian, who programmed this robot to nag Polly? I don't know. I don't I don't know how it got reprogrammed to have the Siri voice and all this stuff. And apparently we will never know unless we can get a hold of this this robot cut that might exist. Because I, I mean Polly gets the drop line of like, what can I say? She loves me. And I'm like, oh man. Did Polly like, you know, make the robot over? But what you gotta figure is he probably he pulled out a wad of cash and handed it to Rocky Jr. and said, Hey kid, program this thing to not be spooky weird. And then those were probably the words it used. And the kid being a you know a boy that's growing up and starting to you know realize things is like, hey, I'll give it a voice kind of like Michelle Pfeiffer if she was on a mushroom trip or something. Well, it's funny because one of the deleted scenes was the robot was nagging Polly about his smoking and how the smoke was messing with the robot sensors. And then Polly, I think he pours beer on it and, <laughs> and then has to like open up the back and starts pulling or he doesn't pour beer on it. He opens up the back, starts pulling on wires and ends up reprogramming the voice. Because that's how computers worked in the 80s. You just punched a bunch of buttons and, you know, either World War Three or sexy voices happened, one or the other. Yeah, or uh, you get weird science. It creates a supermodel. Yeah, Kelly the Brock jumps out. Yeah, it's it's one. Of, well, that's I think you have to have like some lightning involved with that and some other stuff. But yeah, you know, bra on your head. But yeah, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm remembering a really bad movie. By the way, I hate weird science. <laughs> uh, lighten up, Francis. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we end up. Rocky has to leave all of his luxury behind. He leaves the big house. He leaves Adrian. He leaves Polly's sex robot, and they all jump on a plane and they fly out to Russia. Not just any Russia. They fly out into the middle of nowhere that's supposed to be Siberia, but is actually Jackson Hole, Wyoming, before it got popular. It's gorgeous, though. I got to say. Oh, it looks amazing. Yeah. yeah, it looks beautiful, and it looks desolate, and it looks cold, and it's like the perfect place to kind of train for this if you're going to train the way Rocky is. And it's funny because he's in the middle of nowhere with just a few farmers around him, guys cutting wood his KGB handlers and two actual Olympians, Michael Phelps and Ryan Lochte went out to the middle of nowhere to train for the 2012 Olympics because they loved Rocky four so much. They were like, Hey, we should do that. And then they did. And then they won a shitload of gold medals. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, but you know, the thing is, and I've read this before too, that not only did people praise Stallone for like the sports science stuff that's in it, but for the rudimentary training stuff, like he got that from real boxers and real athletes who said, I just had to go back and get old school and, you know, started chopping some trees and getting, I think the chopping tree thing, like Herschel Walker told him about or something like that, you know, let's just go out and go out in the country and just get old school and, you know, you, you get back to your roots. And he has a line about it. 
where Paulie's like, where, hey, go spar. Hey, go do this. Hey, go do that. And he said, I don't think I need that anymore, Paulie. And he's not wrong. Like at this point, Rocky fought enough. He knows how to fight. He's just got to get so freaking strong <laughs> that he can, one, withstand the beating that he knows is coming. And if he can just get a shot or two on this guy, he can prove his point. Because the thing that we've, we've known about the Rocky boxing character, if it was a real thing, is that his face is made out of granite. You can hit him all day and he'll get through it. And it's kind of a thing with Southpaw boxers, though modern Southpaws, no good defense, but old school ones like him, they always leave with their head. They're always waiting to throw that big left. Mickey talks about that in one of the Rocky movies. And that's straight up actual boxing lingo. Like Teddy Atlas will tell you that's how a Southpaw fights. And it's part of how you get to one is you better have a chin if you're going to fight that style because you're going to take a lot in the head. And Rocky leads with his head. And so to you know, he knows the head works. He's got to get the rest of it in shape. So he does that by throwing boulders and outrunning the KGB up, you know, Mount Kilimanjaro or whatever. What's funny that you mentioned that uh, Rocky's a southpaw boxer, because one of the things I noticed later in the movie is that he cuts under his eyes exactly like another southpaw boxer. Excuse me. He's not really a boxer. He's a fighter. One of my favorites of all time and a fellow Italian, Arturo Gatti. Yeah. Another left-handed guy, another chin like a rock, another guy who could walk into punches all day long and just get close enough to start digging that left hook to the body in. And man. Southpaws chop you down. That's their thing is to get inside and bust your ribs up, particularly Rocky. Like that's his MO is he breaks you in half and then he hits you in the face. And the, But the, fun, the neat thing about it is like just from a boxing point of view, Ron, is they make this big deal in Rocky too about how he can't fight South anymore because his eyes so screwed up. So Mickey teaches him how to fight right-handed and he fights right-handed and he beats Apollo right-handed. And then Apollo teaches him how to fight like he fights, but as a Southpaw. So he's throwing, you know, Rocky's not a jab or Apollo is the number of times Mr. T eats a Rocky jab and Rocky three is astronomical. I mean, it's like the F-bomb counting a Tarantino movie or something. It just goes and goes and goes. And the fact that in this fight, though, he's really just coming out to do the old school like Rocky one fight. I'm going to stand there and I'm going to get inside and I'm going to clock you as soon as I can get close enough. Yeah, and um, we're kind of jumping ahead a little bit. We'll go ahead and jump to the Rocky versus Drago fight because that's what everyone's here for. Rocky trains the old school way. Drago trains the new school way. Rocky's big highlight is outrunning that Soviet police car and making it crash. Yep. <laughs> and then to the great song Hearts on Fire by John Cafferty. And then the Drago thing is capped off by him shooting up with steroids. Yeah. I, I know they're trying to make a statement there that that was part of the controversy or whatever. Part of me wished they had left that as a mystery. Maybe Stallone cuts that in the new cut that he's got of it. I would have much rather it just be that Drago is a part of modern sports science. You take that for what it is, but it's a mystery whether or not he's juiced or not, right? And you just look at him with all this freakish strength and you think, how in the world is Rocky going to overcome that? He's going to overcome that the same way he outran the police car in the snow. He lifted up a wheelbarrow full of four adults because Adrian comes and and energizes him again uh, for whatever. And, you know, he's got Paulie, Tony, who are a couple big dudes. And then, you know, Tally Shire doesn't weigh anything, but maybe that guy and his son whose house they're staying in do, and they put a bunch of rocks in it. But that's a great scene, like all that. And he's doing straight, like dead leg, straight sit-ups off of a barn side. Stallone's in incredible shape, too, we should talk about. I I would rather that they left that steroid angle out of it, though, honestly. 
because it would it would have given more mystery to the fact that like man maybe Drago's just that good. Yeah, I kind of feel like they they should have left that part alone as well. Even if you don't want to make it a mystery, I feel like Drago it would be a point of pride at this point. But his pride doesn't really kick in until towards the end of the fight. But uh, yeah, we get to everyone's training. We get another good training montage that directly inspired South Park to do the montage song. <laughs> yep. And then we get to our big event, Rocky versus the newly dubbed Death from Above Drago, live from Moscow, a.k.a. an arena in Vancouver. It's the exact opposite of the Vegas fight. Rocky comes out to booze, and it's just plain. And then Drago comes out looking like the Terminator to the THX bumper sound. <laughs> yep. And they followed up with uh, Nikolai Volkov singing the Russian National Anthem. <laughs> and one of the things that I noticed when they shoot the sizing up scene is when they shoot Stallone, they actually shoot him not to hide the fact that he's so much smaller than this guy. They shoot, yeah, him from, lifts. Yeah. Well, they, they shoot him from underneath to emphasize that he's dwarfed by this giant Russian. I think that's part of the thing, though. Like, they did that in Rocky Three with Hulk Hogan, too. Like, you know, Hulk Hogan is legitimately bigger than everybody in this movie. And Dolph Lundgren's not a small dude, but compared to Sloane, he looks giant. And the fact that they don't hide it, I kind of like that. Because, you know, like, some actors get real ego about it. And Sloan does, too. Let's not hide that, okay? But in this, I think they're just trying to go the whole David and Goliath thing. They just want to play up on that. Yeah, Stallone does, but not in this movie. And let's not mention Vin Diesel fighting The Rock when Vin Diesel's, like, 5'8", and let's The Rock not. is, like, a legit 6'4". Yeah. Let's not let's not go there. <laughs> but, yeah, it's uh, they really do a good job of emphasizing that basic David versus Goliath. And I'm glad you brought up the fact that Rocky's a Southpaw boxer and he's fighting Southpaw style because his only defense is stopping every punch with his face, with his yeah. hands around his waist to protect his body. But when Rocky actually like gets into the range, his fight strategy is sound. He gets inside Drago's guard, neutralizes that reach advantage. He gets in with body shots. He's fighting in a phone book. He's grabbing, he's running. He's trying his best to actually fight a reasonably sound fight for a Rocky movie for at least the first five or ten minutes. And then it becomes an actual like Rocky movie because it's not a very good cinematic boxing film. If he actually boxes intelligently, he's got to stand and fight. Yeah, it's all it's all hinged on the fact that the first round he gets absolutely pummeled. And it's a good piece of comedy, though, they undercut this with because unlike the Apollo thing where everybody's freaking out. Right. Rocky's ego. There's three people. And Paulie has the great line, like, hit the one in the middle. And, the, and Tony's like, yeah, yeah, hit the one in the middle. <laughs> and they just keep going like, it's okay. We knew you were going to get you blasted early. Let's go. And and I, I thought to myself, I was like, at any point would this fight have been allowed to continue? And in America, no. <laughs> in the Western Hemisphere, no. But I bet in Russia, they had their people say, like, I don't care if his head comes off of his shoulders. <laughs> if he's still moving around, count 10 before it's over. Yeah, it, it's great because Rocky gets knocked down legitimately three times in the first round. So that is at, at the very that is a 10-8 round for Drago. Rocky's already up, up a creek as far as the points go, and he knows it. And he just throws that immediately out the window. So Rocky tries to get in close, tries to fight in the phone booth. And I really like that he learned how to do that uh, double leg spine buster from Thunderlips, where he grabs Draco, picks him up, and <laughs> yep. just basically Ron Simmons is him to the mat. Yes. It's yes. Like, that, that was if you want to fight dirty, we're going to fight dirty. And I learned this from Hulk Hogan. 
Yeah, well, and it's it's after the moment when he finally gets a shot on him and he cuts Drago's face. I mean, that is a gnarly looking cut too. I mean, it's incredibly over exaggerated in some ways. But I've seen enough boxing matches where somebody gets really clocked. When I saw Evander Holyfield do that to uh, Michael Dokes once, it's a pretty good fight. And then Holyfield got him under one of his eyes, and it was never the same after that because all Dokes was worried about was the fact that I don't want my eye to fall out of my skull. <laughs> When Evander Holyfield is hooking me, and I, I like that. I like the fact that it's it's now he's it's it's in the corners. It's like you see he's not a machine; he's a man. And then in Drago's corner, Drago's going like he's made like a piece of steel, you know, or whatever. He's a piece of iron or whatever. And I, I'm like, okay, so we flip the script a little bit here in the end, and that's when we we do go into what I would consider to be the least interesting part of this. And I hate the fact that so much of this fight is montaged. Underneath this, like marching band music, this is the only thing I'll I'll ding the soundtrack for is whatever Bill Conti was doing here. I don't know if it works because it switches from dun 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 to dun dun evil Russians or whatever he's got going with the motifs. It's kind of kind of strange. That's because it's not Bill Conti; it's Vince DiCola. Well, there we go. So that that makes a difference. It's a different guy. This is the only Rocky movie where they don't have the Bill Conti score. Ah, uh, that, that uh, explains they just, a lot. And they I, just I know take little I, bits of it from the yeah. other Rocky movies that he's already done. But yeah, and I, I know what he's trying to do. It's to juxtapose the swings in the fight. When Rocky's up, it's the triumphant Rocky themes. When the bad Russians up, it's the evil Russian theme. Right? I I get that. I'm just saying, like, watching it this time, I'm like, man, let's just get that last round because that's what we know this is going the full length. We know this is going 15, so let's just get there. And thankfully, they don't spend too much time wasting there. But, I mean, Stallone, not Stallone, Rocky gets pummeled. Like, he goes down. I don't think Drago goes down to the very end. Rocky goes down so many times in this, man. Like, he is eating canvas every other round. Yeah, Rocky gets knocked down at least eight times by my count, and I probably missed a few. So every other round, basically, Rocky's getting knocked down. Drago does not leave his feet. What did you make out of the fact that somewhere in the middle of the fight, round nine or ten, the crowd turned, some of them, turned on Drago and started going for Rocky and stuff? I, I, I mean, now as an adult, I read that as Stallone saying, if you just inject enough capitalism in somebody's face, <laughs> they'll eventually cheer for it. <laughs> but in this movie as a sports thing, just watching it for what it is, I'm like, you know, I've kind of always not paid enough attention to that, like how big of a deal that is that th- he wins them over when everybody clearly in that crowd wanted him to lose. And then all of a sudden they're like, you know what? No, I, I respect this guy. He Rocky, Rocky. We've both watched a lot of boxing. One of the things I remember most clearly about the first Scotty Ward fight is that it was a pretty mixed crowd reaction. But by the end, everybody's just standing up and screaming every time anybody's doing anything. And these yeah. two guys are literally standing in the middle of the ring, just beating each other with, with outrageous body shots. I mean, Stallone's throwing, uh, throwing hooks to the body from his kneecaps. It's crazy. Yeah. Dolph Lundgren doesn't have to <laughs> work that hard to throw a huge overhand right because he's literally punching straight down on Sloan's face. It's incredible. And one of the things I always appreciate about fight crowds, especially boxing crowds back in the day, was that if you had heart and you stood and you fought, you didn't run, you didn't clinch, you weren't a, a, you weren't a Floyd Mayweather type, you were a real fighter, Yes, they would get behind you. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether you came in getting booed or cheered. If you were willing to stand toe-to-toe and just throw punches, and clearly Rocky is, and clearly Drago is, to his credit, people are going to just start going crazy. 
I like that though. I mean, I, I think it's great. It is an homage to the way you can win a crowd over with heart. And yes, there's, there's subtext to it as, as we've joked about, but just as a sports thing, it's cool. And what's fun is to watch the Politburo and like not Mikhail Gorbachev, but Mikhail Gorbachev, everybody start freaking out about it up top. And uh, Pataki gets sent down to, to get on the Drago's case. And I love Drago's reaction to him. When, when he's telling like, you, you need to fight, you know, for Russia and all this other stuff. And Drago just tees off on it. Which is great because it finally allows Drago, the character, to have some agency. He's not just a machine. He's not just a, a tool for the Soviet Union. He's a person. And I think that's one of the things that helps the movie is that he, he is not just the faceless villain. Yeah, he is the guy Rocky has to beat up. But at the same time, he's also willing to go there and fight for pride. And that he's just as proud as Rocky is. And that's and just a, I know you said you hadn't seen it. I have seen Creed too. And that's more or less the arc of his character. He actually has a pretty neat comeback in it. And uh, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the Creed movies. I think they're fine. They're, there's a little too much Rocky in them for my blood. I would kind of have loved it if they just made it without him. But the, the fact that Creed 2 is Rocky 4 Part 2 in some ways is it's pretty neat to see what they do with Drago. And you see the the beginnings of it here is that he is not somebody to be controlled per se, as much as he, he's got his own you know, wills and agencies. And he, and he absolutely throws that guy like 20 rows back. And it's always very satisfying to see a dude in a suit get grabbed by the neck and hurled like a sack of garbage. Yes. Yeah, I mean, look, Vince McMahon spent a decade getting thrown around by people like that because he realized that was a good way to go. People like that. I mean, it's it's neat because really of, of the evil people, quote, evil people in the movie or whatever, like you're not going to throw Brigitte Nelson anywhere, right? You know, she's just sticking up for her husband. You're going to throw this sniveling, you know, guy who's a politician uh, and who's sticking his nose in there. You're going to throw him. And we come out, we, it's 15th round, you know, so it's it's boxing rules. Last round, he touched gloves again, all that stuff. And Drago, like, you did. And I'm like, ooh, you sound like it. <laughs> so <laughs> you know it's coming down. And it's a great ending fight, though, because all of that work Rocky's done to to break him in half finally starts to pay off. It's like he was, cho- like we saw in the training montage, you keep chopping on that tree enough, you keep chopping wood enough, eventually you're going to get through the root and, and it'll fall. And he absolutely drops him. And it's a it's a great scene. Those are some serious body shots Rocky's throwing. And it really looks like Stallone's making some pretty good contact on Dolph Lundgren to that for that matter. Because he's really he's really popping him and he's really getting yeah. those punches in. One of the things I love about this movie is the fact that the fight noise, it isn't just Foley. It's actual sounds of taken from boxing. So, like, those are actual punches hitting people flesh when you hear them in the in the movie. And yeah, yeah. Stallone was adamant about that, that he wanted to use those kind of things. Because I think, like, the third one took a lot of heat for sounding like snare drums every time him and Mr. T hit each other. And so he, <laughs> he went back to a little bit more, more realistic, hyper-realistic indeed, but a little bit more realistic. And honestly, you, you could probably, you probably think Hulk Hogan for telling him like, look, man, there's a way to get a good sound out of a punch. 
you know, and make it sound good in the ring. I mean, those guys do it for a living. So no, I, I like, I like the work on it. I like the audio of it. It is, again, it is hyper-realistic. There's nobody really fights like that. The only real fighter in my life I ever saw that kind of fought like Rocky was Mike Tyson. And he obliterated people when he hit them like that. So nobody really, middleweights and lower tend to throw a ton of punches like that. Heavyweights do not fight like that uh, because they can't, they're too freaking big. They can't breathe. Like, Lennox Lewis maybe threw eight punches around when he was champion, but that's all he needed because five of them hit you and it hurt. It's because he was a big dude. Yeah, and uh, it's funny because Drago really fights like a Klitschko. Yes, yes, he does. It's, it's even to amazing. the point where he's sticking one hand out like the Klitschkos used to do, and then just sticking one glove out and then following it up with a punch, which is not legal per se, but they got away with it a lot. And Drago gets away with a lot here. You're right. Stallone, Rocky digs down deep, goes to the body, goes to the body, goes to the body, then starts teeing off on Drago's head until at some point in the 15th round, we're not really sure when, Drago finally goes down. The Soviet Union crowd is just absolutely going crazy because they've seen this knockdown. They do the count, ding, ding, ding. The evil Russian has been defeated, except he's not really that evil. He's just kind of a dude who's getting used by the machine. Which is a good statement for a lot of the Russian people who were just getting used by the machine. Let's just call it. And and a good statement for a lot of those uh, communist, uh, the Soviet bloc athletes who were getting used and abused and have suffered miserably as a result of the uh, experimentation that the Soviet Union's sports bureaus did on them. Absolutely. I mean, yes, Sloan was, was, was taking shots at all of that. Clearly. The Drago goes down, we get the 10 count, and then everyone's celebrating, everybody hits the ring, Rocky grabs the American flag from Polly and drapes it over his shoulders. Then we get one of the most quotable lines of the movie, where you've got Stallone, he grabs the mic and he says, you know, when I came in here, everybody hated me, now everybody loves me, and I feel like I didn't like you much not either, but if I could change, you could change, then maybe everybody could change. And then everybody just goes bananas for that line. Yeah, what did you, everybody what, gives the standing ovation, including fake Mikhail Gorbachev. That, that's what punctuates all of that. Which is funny because that's the same fake Mikhail Gorbachev from uh, Naked Gun 2, I want to say. I did not know that. That's awesome. <laughs> no, that, guy had a, that guy had a career playing Gorby in the 80s. I mean, really, without the like the you know the skin stain or whatever Gorbachev had, like the birthmark. Like, yeah, he's nailed him. He's got him down. But it's uh, I love though that 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 is it is a big cheesy moment of the like, I can change, you can change, we all can change. But there's actually a message in that that is very true. <laughs> like what ultimately undermined Soviet communism was again their economics completely collapsed. But the people finally realized, like, you know what? Screw this. <laughs> like, we're not going to do this anymore. And that, I mean, that took it down. And and it's and we're a few years here before the fall of the wall in Berlin and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of people joke about, like, oh, this movie defeated communism. But it set a pop culture wave forth that really pushed people to, like, yeah, this needs to change. This needs to end. Now, you know, communism is not dead. That's very clear in, in modern day. But Russia is a very different place. I don't, you know, you can argue what it's like now, but the, this regime was not going to last. The USSR was going to fall apart, and you know, Rocky's just the symbol of of outlasting it. I mean, I think that I think that's what if Sloan's trying to say anything is that he just felt like America would outlast Russia the way Rocky outlasted this Russia, and he was right. All it took was 
an incredible physical toll for Rocky, never the same again, and an incredible economic toll for the United States, which has never been the same again. <laughs> That's an excellent point. <laughs> you are absolutely right. <laughs> but the important thing is we end with a nice freeze frame of Rocky's battered face with the American flag flying behind him. And then we get a lovely credit montage of still photos of scenes from the movie, but especially multiple shots of the robot, the movie's real star. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I love that the robot. We didn't talk about it. They cut away multiple times during the movie to Rocky's kid who's at home with like his friends or whatever watching the fight, and the robots behind him like holding you know has on a Santa hat and it's holding like treats for him. You think the robot's like, no, use the left, Rocky. You know, <laughs> at some point, it is illogical to stand and fight with Ivan Drago. You need to stick and move. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. So I think we, we've referenced them all. <laughs> My arms are as useless as Rocky's defense. <laughs> I don't know, man. If you, have, if you had a chin like that, that's a pretty darn good defense because you just wear the other guy out swinging melee at you. Well, it was like rope-a-dope, except you didn't defend yourself or cover up. You just kind of let the guy punch himself out on your face. If it works, it works, you know. Yeah, it's won Rocky a couple of titles and a lot of fights. And, it, I mean, he... He beat the most ferocious opponent he ever had in it. And, uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a neat moment at the end. But what I, what I will appreciate about it, and I only really noticed it this time, honestly, Ron, was during Rocky's speech, which goes on a little bit longer than we talked about, they cut to Drago several times. And the look on his face is one that I'll give Dolph Lundgren credit. Like, he played it off like, okay, you won fair and square. That's how it goes. You know, like he, he was a sportsman. And I I appreciated that because Brigitte Nielsen has a line somewhere in the movie about like they're not soldiers, they're sportsmen, you know. And I, I appreciated the fact that Drago didn't like stomp out of the arena or, you know, get taken out back shot or something, you know, some awful, you know, awful thing we could dream up for him. Because then, no, he stood there and gave him everything he had and it wasn't enough. And it's like, okay, you know, you win. He didn't bite his ear off or anything crazy like that. He didn't eat his children. He didn't say, praise be to Allah. <laughs> that stuff <Yeah>. happened. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, that is a nice touch. And again, that goes back to uh, Drago, a tool of the state, ends up fighting for himself. And at the end of the fight, he's like, you know what? You got me. You were the better man today. I don't know what else to say. Maybe maybe he took Rocky lightly. Uh, maybe, you know, he should have gone to the body way more than he went to the face after the first couple of rounds when he realized that, I'm punching this guy all, all day long in his head and it's not doing any damage that won't show up until Rocky five. But yeah, it's, it's a great moment. It's a good character moment. Rightfully, they both look disappointed, but they don't look, they're not mad about it. So to speak, they did. It just seems like that, you know, it's I'll fight again in six months and we'll see what happens. Yeah. And I mean, and they carry that story on. I won't spoil uh, Creed 2 anymore than I already have here. But if you're if you're so inclined, you can get much more of the Drago story if you want to uh, go and, and play along with that. We are at the point where the Drago story seems like it's ended, at least as far as Rocky Four is concerned. It's like they say in the classic semisonic song, Closing Time, every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. And this is the beginning of the end of our podcast where we go into our final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. Jay, what do you have to say about Rocky Four? 
I'm not going to sit here and act like this is better than the original Rocky. That's a great story. Uh, it's also a great story that gets retold a lot in sports type movies. Uh, the Karate Kid, most notably, uh, same director, by the way, a very similar arc, but it doesn't mean it's any less. And that first Rocky movie is its own dramatic piece, right? Again, this one is the rock and roll music video version of Rocky movies. And as such, it's a lot of fun to watch. It doesn't require you to know a whole lot. It doesn't require you to really do much more than to sit there and munch on your popcorn and just go along for the ride. It's a fun ride. The soundtrack is amazing, particularly if you're of our age or if you just appreciate good 80s music. There's so much in here to, to chew on and enjoy. And even the politics of it, you know, they're not so prickly that I can't enjoy it. I think there's some there's some validity to a lot of what's on the screen here. There's also some cheap stuff, but, you know, whatever. That It was the time. I think it's the best performance of Creed. Yeah, I mean, so what a heck of a way to go out, not only as a character, but for Carl Weathers. It's really fun. The, the first third of the movie, he owns it. I'll be honest with you, without him, it would have sucked. Like if there was nothing else to go for. So Stallone was right. There needed to be an emotional anchor, and that was a good one to go with. So yeah, I definitely recommend it. It's worth a revisit. As far as popcorn ratings can go, man, this is the perfect matinee medium with a lot of good hot butter. It, they actually made it fresh for you that day. It's not the leftover from the night before. Uh, I think it's a good, solid medium popcorn. I will concur with you on that medium popcorn front. I think this is just the definition of a medium popcorn movie because it's good, but it's not great. And if you took one or two things away from it, like you said, if Carl Weathers doesn't give the five minutes worth of acting that he does to give this movie some stakes, it doesn't work nearly as well. If it's Rocky versus just another impossible killing machine, I don't know who's left that they can beat to death that, that Rocky can avenge at this point if it's not for Apollo Creed. I mean, if Drago punches Adrian, she's gonna break in half like a sack full of toothpicks. It's gonna be a it's gonna be like throwing a plastic skeleton down a flight of stairs. It's just not gonna be a thing. It's good. It's better than I remember it being. It's more fun than I remember it being. Burt Young is clearly having fun. The montages are great. It is the pinnacle of 80s filmmaking excess. But at the same time, it is stylish as all get out. And the soundtrack is incredible for you, for us middle-aged people. It is a lot shorter than you think it is. It moves really fast because so much of it is montage. Aside from like two or three different places in the movie where it kind of slows down. I got to go with media popcorn. It's the perfect mid-afternoon. It's too hot to go outside. Let's fire up a movie TBS special kind of thing. Yeah, I'm good. I got nothing else. <laughs> I left it all in the ring. <laughs> Well, now that we've given our final thoughts and recommendations, it's time to make a few final plugs and say our goodbyes. You can follow the show's social media at Filmstrip Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. There you can find announcements about upcoming shows and a link to our letterbox page, which contains our entire list of reviews. And there is 305 and counting. There'll be many more to come. Uh, you can always go to filmstrippodcast.com to check us out on Anchor FM and if you feel so inclined, please rate us on the podcatcher where you caught this particular pod. Wherever you can find fine podcasts, please give us a rating for five stars. But if you want to be honest, I guess we can accept that. But yes, please share and support the show any way you can, because the more you share and the more reviews you leave, the easier it is for other people to find us. And the more people that find us, the better off this podcast is going to be. For Jay, I'm Ron. Thank you very much for listening 
to Filmstrip. Or as Sylvester Stallone would say, thank you for listening to Filmstrip. Please write review. You know, if you like it, maybe you give it five stars, and if you don't like it, maybe you can go to hell. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.